Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here. And uh, if you want to open your Bibles along with me, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 6 today, starting that chapter. And um, uh, one more encouragement that there is a prophecy conference uh, coming up in Calvary Chapel of the Finger Lakes this week. And it starts Friday, it ends Saturday. And uh, if any of you, we actually have uh, nine motel rooms that we're filling up right now. And I do have a couple more that I can get my fingers on. So if there's anyone else who would like to attend the uh, conference, please put your name on the sheet out there and I'll make sure that I have a room for you. Um, And also we have the Secret Sisters. And any of you ladies who've never been part of Secret Sisters, I'd really encourage you to do so. I hear so many wonderful things about it. And so you sign up out there and you fill out a little sheet and then you pick names and what it is is you have someone's name and they don't know who you are and then you pray for them i think it's for three months and then at the end they have a dinner they have a great testimony time and they share who they've been praying for and you have a chance to give one another little gifts and, and things like that and uh, vi loves chocolate with peanut butter in it just want, just wanted you to know that okay let's pray father we come before you in jesus name and we thank you so much for your love We thank you so much for the way you're able to instruct us and speak to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand and to comprehend the fullness of what your word is telling us this morning. Lord, we love you so much, and our desire is to live for you alone and not for all of the little trinkets of this world. And so come, Lord, use me to minister to these, your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, when we were singing, I was, I was thinking about our faith. I was thinking about the Bible. And you know, in uh, my undergraduate work, my graduate work, my postgraduate work, I've had a lot of unbelievable books in my hand, but they don't compare to the Bible. I remember in my undergraduate work, you know how you have to take one humanities course, and I took the philosophies of Socrates and Plato. And the thing that's amazing, if you read the philosophies of Socrates and Plato, they're always seeking and never finding. And yet we have a book that is so perfect. It not only helps us to seek, but it helps us to find. The Bible is absolutely the most amazing book I've ever studied. And I really encourage all of you, uh, I mean, we go right through the Bible. Use it as an opportunity to really study what the Word says. Because it's like we were talking about earlier It's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's all about our relationship with the Lord. Now, in Numbers chapter 6, we're beginning here. We have to understand that when we study the Old Testament, it's so important for us to make that um, parallel or that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, I'll just use parallel, of what is speaking to us in the New Testament. Because the Old Testament is basically giving us the law, the standards that God has, has you know, given man to live by, where the New Testament is, sh- is sharing, sharing with us how we can live by those standards. And even when we make mistakes, how we can repent and be put right back on the right track. So, so many people, when they study the Old Testament, especially books like Numbers, are thinking, whoa, what does that mean? How does that apply to me? Well, it does if you take it and you apply it to the New Covenant which is one of the things we'll be doing this morning. And um, we're going to be looking at the Nazarite vow. 
And every believer should desire to be a Nazarite, really. Now, one of the things I want to share here, because people get this confused all the time, there's a Nazarite is not a Nazarene. A Nazarene was someone who was from Nazareth. Jesus was from Nazareth. He was called a Nazarene. But Jesus was also a Nazarite in the sense that he set himself apart for God. And so when I talk about all of us should desire to be Nazarites, I'm not talking about being a you know, Nazarene. We're not from Nazareth. Oh, that'd be nice. But to set ourselves apart to the Lord. Now, the thing we have to understand is that our desire should not to be captivated by all the entrapments of this world, but our desire should to be completely enamored with the ways of Yahweh, with the ways of God. Because we have to remember that what God desires for us is always for our good. Do you understand that? There's never anything you're going to read in the Bible and think, well, boy, God really wants to get me. Everything we read is for our learning, for our benefit, for our encouragement. And that's what we always have to keep in mind. And as believers, we are to be filled. Scripture tells us we're going to be getting into this. We are to be filled with the Spirit, not with wine. In Ephesians 5.18 it says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we have to understand what one wine, as we're going to be reading in this portion, it represents worldly pleasure. Where being filled with the Spirit represents the peace and joy we have in God. Pleasure is very fleeting. You know, you get on a roller coaster, whee, that's fun, and it's over with. Unless you're throwing up on the way down. But you understand my point. We have to realize that we're looking for not pleasure but we're looking for peace in relationship with almighty god and so we're picking up in numbers chapter 6 starting with verse 1 then the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the children of israel and say to them when either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a nazarite to separate himself to the lord he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. Some translations say strong drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from the seed or skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the day he is fulfilled, uh, until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of his hair, um, of his head grow. In other words, not have a haircut. All the days that he has separated himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother or his brother or his sister. Now, when it talks about someone who's taken a Nazarite vow not going near a dead body, notice it says even if it's father, even if it's his father, mother, brother, or sister. But what isn't mentioned? Husband or wife. Because the husband and wife become one. The Old Testament makes that clear. So 
Obviously, if you've taken this vow and the husband or wife dies, then you're excluded from that separation. They're not even mentioned. And when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him, in other words, it's an accident, (laughs) and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day, he shall bring uh, two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest, um, to the door of the tabernacle of meetings. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him, the man who broke his Nazarite vow we're talking about, because he sinned in regard to the corpse, and he shall uh, sanctify his head that same day. He shall, con- he shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in the first year as a trespass offering, but the former days shall uh, be lost. In other words, what it's saying, he's got to go all the way back to the beginning. Let's say he made a commitment for 30 days. And 20 days through his commitment, he accidentally came in contact with a dead body. He had to go through this whole ritual of being uh, re-cleansed. He has to start all over again. And that's important for us to consider because under the new covenant, we don't have to go back to the beginning. When we fall and we confess and repent and the Lord lifts us up, we continue right where we were. You don't have to go back to the beginning. That's awesome. Because the separation was defiled. This is verse 13. Now, this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meetings. And he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in his first year without blemish as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in his first year without blemish as a sin offering, and one ram without blemish as a peace offering. A basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and the grain offering with their drink offering. Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering, and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket and one unleavened wafer and put them upon the, uh, the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated head. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy to the priest, together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord the offering for uh, his separation. And besides that, uh, whatever else his hand is able to provide, according to the vow which he has taken, so he must, be, he must do according to the law of separation. So when we look at this and we read all those conditions, it's like, oh, what does all that mean? Well, it's just telling us, number one, that to take the vow of a Nazarite was voluntary. They were still children of Israel. 
in our terminology, we would say they're still saved. But sometimes you had someone who wanted to just give more of a consecration to the Lord, to go a little bit further. And that's what the Nazarite vow was all about. And remember, it was a voluntary vow that could be given by either a man or a woman. It's mentioned here. But the one thing we have to keep in mind, and we think, well, that doesn't seem right or fair, but um, we'll talk about that. You can write this down. I'm not going to read it, but write down Numbers chapter 30 and verses 10 and 12. 10 through 12. What Numbers chapter 30, 10 through 12 is, is this. If a husband hears his wife make a vow and he says nothing, she's obligated to that vow. If a husband hears his wife making a vow and he rescinds it, she's no longer obligated to the vow. And people think, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, it probably doesn't in our economy. But at that time, it made more sense than we think because it could be that the husband was realizing, I can't afford to have my wife away. She maybe was the caregiver and you know, the one who kept at home and maybe they had small children at home. Whatever it might be, maybe it was the husband's own weakness because one of the things that we find out in Corinthians that if a husband tells his wife, I don't want you to keep that vow, and it was the Lord who told her to do that, the sin comes on the husband's head. So anyway, we have to understand as far as that vow is concerned, the husband had the right to rescind it. He almost never did. You know, just from reading Jewish tradition, the husband almost never did. He always allowed his wife to keep that vow as well. And we know someone who took that vow that we studied in the Bible. Remember? Samson. He was a Nazarite from birth. Now... Understand this vow was not a command of the Lord, but it was all about if a person wanted to have a closer walk with the Lord. And the same thing is true with us. Jesus has laid out for us what the Christian life is, and he has not commanded us to not do certain things that might bring us a little earthly pleasure or whatever. But what is being talked about here, if we want to have a little bit closer walk with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes we pray and say, Lord, what can I do to have a closer walk with you? Well, maybe he's going to show us to do certain things. Maybe be in the Word more. Maybe to have more time in prayer. Whatever it might be, we have to be willing to take that step. In a sense, that's like the vow of a Nazarite. Not that you're committed to it in, in that sense, but you are making a commitment to the Lord. I want to have a closer walk with you. Now, under the New Covenant we're actually not supposed to make vows. Did you know that? We're supposed to possibly make commitments to the Lord, show our, or express our desire to have a closer walk with the Lord, but we're not to make vows. In fact, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, first book of the New Testament. It's on page 800. No, I don't know. <laughs> first book of the New Testament, Matthew and go to chapter 5, and we're picking up with verse 33. Matthew 5, starting with verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. So that's talking about really what we're reading here, making these oaths to the Lord. But look, what he, look at what Jesus goes on to say. But I say to you, 
Do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is, it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. A lot of Jews at that time would make their commitment swearing to Jerusalem, the holy city of God. Verse 36, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And we have to understand, even when we're making our commitments to, to the Lord, or if someone is asking us to do something, just yes, sure, I, or no, I swear I'll be there, I'll be there. We can't do that. We, we can't make these kind of vows. And, oh, and what Scripture is showing us is that we don't have the ability to fulfill them. You know, for instance, <clears throat> I made a commitment. I made a vow, and I said, you know what? I am going to work out every morning as soon as I wake up five days a week. I'm going to go to the Y and swim at least one day a week. I am only going to have one carb a day, and that gluten-free. And I am going to eat the way I should, and I know I'll feel better. And it worked great until Thanksgiving. And then you have Thanksgiving to New Year's Day is just a blur, right, for all of us. It's just like, and then you go back to the beginning. Well, here's the wonderful thing about the New Testament. When I made that commitment, I'm not really making a vow because I know I'm not supposed to make vow. But when I made that commitment, I really meant it. And then the holidays came, and I really blew it. But here's the thing, under the New Covenant, I can go and say, Lord, I want to start over again. Because Vi and I have made a commitment that tomorrow we're going to start right off working out every morning and going to the gym once a week to swim. You understand the point I'm making? This is the difference between the liberty of grace and the commitment of the law. Under the old covenant, when you made a commitment, you couldn't fudge on it one single bit or you were, you were guilty. But under the new covenant... We make our commitments to the Lord. Our desire is to draw closer to him, to be in in more intimate relationship with him, but sometimes we just fall. And it's the grace of God that allows us to get back up where we fell. We don't have to go back to the beginning like the Nazarites did, and we can start right from where we fell. Now, well, uh, this person, when this person took this vow, there were three things they were forbidden to do. And the first was not to drink wine or any fermented drink. Now, this has nothing to do, in fact, the verse itself brings that out, this has nothing to do whether alcohol is right or wrong, sin or not sin. But rather, if you want a closer walk with the Lord, that might be something that you would do. Because the scripture is very clear, even though it does not forbid the drinking of alcoholic beverage, scripture says, a drunkard shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's talking about someone not who has an alcoholic beverage, but when they drink, they get drunk. It's a serious offense, according to the word of God. And all of us realize, I mean, I don't because I don't drink, but I'm just, you know. But a lot of you who, who have, you, you know what I'm talking about. 
You can have a glass of wine, maybe a couple glasses of wine. You have a third glass of wine, it's, it's going to start affecting your judgment. It's going to start affecting the way you feel about things and your attitude. You're going to say things you wish you didn't say. You understand the point I'm making. Now, um, wine in Scripture, and, and there's a Scripture that says it cheereth the heart, is a symbol of, of having joy and having some, you know, some delight. But what the Nazarite was doing by staying away from all wine was making the commitment that all of his joy was in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's what the Nazarite was doing. And um, the thing that's interesting, too, is the second requirement of the Nazarite that's mentioned here was that they weren't to cut their hair. What does that have to do with anything? Well, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11... 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen says this. It says, It is a disgrace for a man if he has long hair. Okay? That's what that's all talking about. The disgrace of a man having long hair. The implication is that anyone who was taking the Nazarite vow and didn't cut his hair was willing to be humbled before the Lord. You follow what I'm saying? Like we think of uh, all the old Bible characters having the flowing long hair. They didn't. They shaved. They, they, you know, they had a razor cut. They kept their head, you know, their hair pretty short. And for a male, it was a disgrace to have his hair long. So it was a sign of humility to have a man walking around all the days of his vow with his hair growing long. It was a sign of his humbling himself before the Lord. And um, one of the things that's interesting to me is you have a character, a Bible character like Samson. And uh, he was, he's, he's such an interesting study for all of us. But you have someone like Samson, and uh, he killed a thousand Philistines. And yet the lap of a woman allowed him to have his head shown, shorn. Isn't that amazing? You think about it? When he was out there fighting for the Lord, he could kill a thousand Philistines. And then the lust of the flesh just put him to sleep, and his head was, was shaved. And so we have to understand that as believers, we make commitments to the Lord, wonderful commitments. And we do great battle for the Lord, and that's awesome. But we have to make sure we're not lulled asleep. Remember he fell asleep on Delilah's lap? We can't be lulled asleep. And that's what the world and oftentimes religion tries to do to us, lull us to sleep. Also, they were not allowed to go near a dead body. Why? Because death is the deepest mark of the testimony of sin. God never intended man to die. Did you know that? He created Adam and Eve with eternal life. And he said to them, if you disobey me by going to that tree in the center of the garden, which more than likely, by the way, wasn't it an apple tree. Apple trees don't grow in that part of the world. It was probably a fig tree. And he says, if you eat of that forbidden fruit, then you shall surely die. Well, he wasn't talking about him falling over dead at that moment. He was talking about that he would die spiritually. And when a person dies spiritually... It leads their body into aging, and they will eventually die physically. 
That's why I love that portion that says the last enemy to be conquered is death. Where, oh, death is your victory. Where, oh, death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus who gives us the victory. That's unbelievable. But death was never a part of God's plan. You know, I don't think there's anything that brings more fear, more heartache in our lives when we think of the death of a loved one, right? Nothing. If we know they're saved, obviously there is a great constellation there knowing that they're going to be with the Lord and we'll see them again. But you think of all the wars, you think of all the, you know, all the evil that's going on, slaughter that's going on around the world, you realize how ugly that is? And yet we're in such a weird state because of the fall of man that those of us that have some kind of a moral stand that we'd like to keep, there are times that we have to fight in order to protect ourselves from those that would take it away from us. All you have to do is read the study of the Kings and the Chronicles. They went to battle in order to keep their nation free. But how wonderful it's going to be when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. There's not going to be any war. People aren't going to die. It's not going to be necessary. Because God is going to rule from his throne with an iron scepter, and we're going to reign with him as believers. How amazing is that? It's pretty amazing. <laughs> and um, we know from Matthew uh, 10, 37 through um, 39, it says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of, uh, worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds this, um, let me find glasses on. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What that's telling us here is no one should come before the Lord. It doesn't mean, you know, you don't love your family. It doesn't mean you wouldn't lay down your life for your family. But our love and commitment to the Lord has to be higher, higher than that. I mean, Jesus is the one who did it all. He created the heavens and the earth by his hand. All things were created by him. Nothing was created that was not created by him in the Gospel of John chapter 1. He's the creator. He created us. And he has a promise for us. I mean, he gave man free will choice. And Some of us might think, why did he do that? Because that brought sin into the world. Because God wanted man to love him. He loved man, but God wanted man to have the ability to freely love him. And that requires choice. You've heard me share this before. No choice, no love. You know, if I go up to my, my wife and start choking her and say, you better tell me you love me. And she goes, oh, I love you. There's no love there. That's fear. And so many religions are based on fear. Ours isn't. We love Jesus simply because we love him. God gave man that choice. Unfortunately, there are those who don't choose to love God. They don't choose to follow him. And so God gave that choice, and of course that has led to the world going off in so many crazy, wild you know, directions. I mean, our, our world is in such turmoil right now. And... Um, if we don't realize the nearness of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be blind. I mean, some of you probably heard about what happened in Russia. Uh, a lot of people don't because the only thing they carry on news is politics. 
Any news you turn on, any time of the day you turn on, it's just politics. You never get world news. But um, Putin uh, established a whole new set of laws, and his entire government resigned. So Putin is becoming, is going to become the next czar. He's going to become, you know what uh, the title was for the czar of Russia in ancient times? Gog. And so if we have Ezekiel 38, Gog, you know, Mishash and Tubal, the, the main, you know, he's the main prince of Mishash and Tubal. He's the king of those two country, Rosh, Mishash and Tubal, that are all going to come against Israel from the north. You have Iran, Persia, right there. And you have Syria, right there. You have what's considered the old Babylonian Empire, right there. We are so on the brink of the Lord taking his church out of this world. That should be our greatest motivation. We should all separate ourselves as Nazarites, not in the sense of the Old Testament, but in the sense that, Lord, I just, I just want to commit my life to you. I just want to do whatever you, 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 you would have me do because you're coming back and anyone who doesn't know you will be left behind. But anyone who does know you, if they die, they're going to be with you. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And any of, us who, uh, any of, of those of us who are still alive, when you come, we're going to be translated, receive our glorified bodies, and meet you in the air. That time is at hand. I mean, Scripture tells us we are supposed to be aware of the time. You're, we don't know the day. We don't know the hour. If I came out here and said, I just want you to know, next Thursday at 2 o'clock, the rapture is going to occur. Then you can look at me and say, you're wrong. Because <laughs> no one knows the day nor the hour. But Scripture does say, you are not in darkness. You are sons of the light that this day should come upon you as a thief in the night. In other words, we're supposed to be aware of the time in which we're living, and we're living in that time. It's absolutely amazing. Now, so also we have to understand, we see that everything in our walk, at least we should, is a blessing, not an obligation and a burden. That's the difference between the law and grace. Everything in our walk is, is a blessing, it's, it, it makes life better. It's not a burden and it's not an obligation. I've never had anyone come to me, say, Pastor, can I meet with you, you know, Tuesday at 7 o'clock in your study? Sure, come on in. And I've never had anyone come into my study and say, you know, Pastor, I just want you to know, I've been, I've been walking with the Lord. I've been doing everything God wants me to do, and, and I've been in prayer, and, and I, I've just been in, in communion with the Lord, and, and, and life is just tough. No. The ones that come in and see me are the ones who are saying to me, I haven't been walking with the Lord. I've been disobedient in this area. I've been disobedient in that area. I've been slacking here, and I feel miserable. Anyone who's in communion with the Lord is filled with joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we, in a sense, desire to take a Nazarite vow, and not out of obligation, but you know what, Jesus, I love you. What is there that I can do to be a little closer to you? I guarantee you this. If this evening, you know, you spent time with your family, maybe doing family devotions, and you spent some time, you know, maybe even singing some worship songs, or at least listening to some worship songs, you're going to feel great. But here's what happens. 
7 o'clock at night comes, and we make this excuse. I'm tired. I just am emotionally and mentally tired. So the thing that I need to do is turn on TV and watch the news <laughs> or whatever it might be that you want to watch. You follow the point I'm making? And yet, if we make that extra commitment, when you do have those times that you spend the evening, you know, really worshiping the Lord, and if you have a spouse or family talking to them about Jesus, and you have just that kind of, man, you go to bed and you're like, Ba-da. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death. Remember John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The point that I'm bringing out here is that in Jesus Christ there's forgiveness. That's the grace of God. That's what it means to be a New Testament believer. His grace and mercy. When you fall a sin, it doesn't mean, okay, you're cut off, I'm done with you now. You are His. You have received the seal and sign and deposit of the Holy Spirit. You belong to Almighty God. But I'll tell you what, when you're not walking with Him, you're going to be miserable. When you're not walking with Him, you're not going to have the peace and joy your heart desires. And so the whole idea for you and I, as far as taking a Nazarite vow in a spiritual sense, not a literal sense, you know, we're not going to go and let our hair grow. I can anyway. But anyway, we're not going to let our hair grow. We're not going to do all these other things. But the point is, our Nazarite vow is, you know what, Jesus? I want a closer walk with you. You're so awesome to be with. I just want to spend more time with you. That's our vow. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this portion of Scripture and uh, the vow of the Nazarite and how it really applies to us under the new covenant of grace. And I pray, Father, that you would minister the words that we have studied and looked at this morning to our heart and life. And I pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as you all know, the third um, Sunday of the month, we have communion. And you always know when we're having communion because I have a tie on. It's the only Sunday I wear a tie <laughs> Anyway, um, communion is absolutely wonderful. Jesus gave two sacraments to the church. Now, a sacrament is something that we do physically to demonstrate an inward working of God. The two sacraments God has given the church, study the New Testament, you'll find there's only two, and that's the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of communion. The sacrament of baptism is when a person has been born again and committed their lives to Jesus Christ, and they want to give public testimony of it. We only do it in the summer because our pool is frozen in the winter. But, um, and if it's real cold, Frank's the one who does it. But anyway, uh, what we do is someone who's a new believer and wants to be baptized, we take them and we do baptism by submersion because that's what's in the Bible. And, and in Romans chapter 6, it makes it very clear Going under the water represents dying to your old nature, your old sin, and coming up means you're a new creation in Christ. It's just symbolic. So it's a symbolic thing we do to demonstrate an inner working of grace. Well, the other sacrament is what we call communion. And Jesus, by the way, Jesus had to participate in it as well. Remember Jesus participated in baptism? John the Baptist said, I need to be baptized by you. He said that all righteousness might be fulfilled you know, I'm going to be baptized. And he also participated in the Lord's table. And he told us 
that as often as we drink this cup and eat this bread, we're to do it in remembrance of him. And he said he wouldn't participate in this table again until he participates with us anew in the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine? One day, all of us, we as believers, are going to be in heaven, and we're, we're going to take part in a giant communion service. And guess who's going to be officiating it? Not me. Jesus. And you know what our attitude's going to be? You know why? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this love. I don't deserve this joy. Jesus is celebrating communion with me. And what is communion? We have it on our table. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, what do we remember? We remember he created us. We remember he gave us the law to be our schoolmaster. We know that he gave us grace by his death on the cross that we might be forgiveness of all sins. And we know that he's given us eternal life. When we die, we go to be with him. And so, consequently, we also recognize that this promise involves his coming back for us. And one day, we're going to be with him. And it's like Job said, we're not going to see him in some kind of a weird, abstract, nirvana kind of way. We're going to see him with our own eyes, and we're going to be celebrating together with our own personage, our, our self-identity is never lost. You know, I'm not going to be in, in, in heaven and, you know, we're ready to do the communion supper and we're all excited and I say, now, who are you again? I'm going to know John. I'm going to know my wife, I. I'm going to know my son. You know, I'm going to know all of you. It's not going to be like, oh, we will have our own self-identity. We're going to know who we are in relationship to God and with one another as fellow believers. It's going to be awesome. Until that day comes, Jesus said, as a reminder, I want you to do communion. And, of course, we know that the unleavened bread, Jesus took the unleavened bread, and uh, when he met with his disciples in the upper room when he broke it, he said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. That's the kind of love I have for you. And then he passed the bread around. And then he took the wine, the fruit of the vine, and he said, this is my blood. This represents my blood that's going to be shed for you. And he also gave that to them to pass around. And that the shedding of his blood was a symbol of the remission of all sin. And so as believers, we share in this communion every week. And as the ushers come forward and we start passing out the elements for communion, uh, Chuck's going to be playing a song, right? A song that um, uh, we had playing here yesterday during the work bee, and it just really hit by and I. So I hope it blesses you as well. Okay, brothers. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Glory of the Lord to be the light.
to that. Is he worthy? He is. So take any and drink and be so thankful to your God. Lord, thank you for this sacrament of encouragement, this sacrament of love, this sacrament of peace. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless it to our spiritual nourishment. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters.